You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. I do feel that maybe those could have been spread out a little bit. Opening at number two, Ohio State, who was in the CFP, the college football playoffs, a year ago and very uh, easily could be back there this year and maybe win a national championship is um, a bit daunting if you look at it that way. But, uh, hey, uh, uh, we're, we're going to have to play them at some point. Maybe the best time to play them is, is early. But uh, And then we've got uh, uh, number seven, Penn State, and number 12, I believe, Wisconsin, all in the first four games. So, you know, in sports, and we talk about football in particular, it's so important, especially as you're developing a program and with a young team to uh, establish momentum and morale early on. And uh, we're going to have to really work on that because uh, we have our, our work cut out for us, but we're up to the challenge. And welcome here to this edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan and Robin Washett. Nate Klaus, that was a much more settled-down Bill Moose. Um, I think when he saw that schedule Friday night or Saturday um, about a week ago of opening at Ohio State, then Wisconsin Week 2, Northwestern, then Penn State Week 4, he was not happy uh, because Nebraska clearly did get the toughest draw of any team in the conference. They're the only team in the Big Ten West that will play two Eastern powers between Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State, uh, Purdue, and Northwestern, they won't play any of those games, um, Robin Washington and Nate Klaus, when, when you look at these schedules across the board. So you can look at it all you want. Did Nebraska get screwed? Probably so. But, guys, their schedule had these two teams on there anyway, and the Rutgers game was the one game that was dropped off the schedule. Uh, Nebraska has a six-year series with Ohio State. This is the sixth year in a row. Um, of that six-game deal, so that was intact. And then they chose to to keep the Penn State game on the schedule. Yeah, so, I mean, I like most people, people saw those first four games, and you're like, whoa, <laughs> here you go, Nebraska. But in the grand scheme of things, none of the opponents changed. None of the sites for those games changed. Just the timing of it's the game. It's just games. a matter of when they were placed. And so, I mean, sure, you can look at it as if, you know, the Big Ten is trying to jab Nebraska, but it's – at the same time, it is what it is. You were supposed to play all those teams anyway. Uh, and further complaining about your situation, I don't think is a very good look, which, you know, I think in retrospect, Bill Moose probably would have changed his comments on that a little bit. Or, I mean, I'm sure he felt that way, but you just don't need to say it because that's just providing more fuel for the Pat, the 40. Pat 40s and the, you know, all those dorks out there that want to trash Nebraska at any chance they get and paint Nebraska's athletic department to be a bunch of whiners. When you go out there and complain about your schedule, that just adds fuel to the fire. So it was good to see Moose kind of track those back a little bit and just kind of say, you know what, it is, schedule is what it is. It's going to be difficult, but it's a challenge we're ready to take on. Well, the, the problem that I saw was uh, I think a lot of people convinced themselves that there's no way that the Big Ten was going to – um, you know, I have Nebraska play Ohio State and Penn State in, you know, out of all the, the crossover games and that they would probably get one, but not both. Balance and, it out a little bit. Balance it out a little bit. And, um, you know, I was fully expecting that to happen, that they would get both. And, you know, if they didn't, hey, that'd be kind of kind of a bonus. But so and I think that's where the, a lot of the reaction came from is a lot of people convince themselves there's no way that the Big Ten was going to allow that to happen. And sure enough, it did. Well, I think what they're trying to do, too, is keep the cycle of schedule, you know, in line because next year again you you play similar opponents in a schedule cycle as well, and I, you know obviously 
Nebraska not playing Rutgers, I don't think that hurts anybody's feelings other than it, give, it would have given Nebraska a win. And that's what's hard to me about all this, guys, is schedule number one, when you look at how that was laid out, Purdue, Lincoln, week one, new coordinator, no Rondell Moore. That was a very, very doable opener for Nebraska. I mean, it would have been tough, but I think they could have won that game. Then Central Michigan and South Dakota State and Rutgers and Northwestern and Cincinnati, they had a pretty manageable opening path. Then even on schedule number two, if I'm not mistaken, Nebraska played Rutgers, then Illinois. Mm-hmm. So they had two very, very favorable games to get momentum going. And we we saw what that did for Minnesota last year. Minnesota barely beat Georgia Southern. They barely beat South Dakota State. They barely beat Fresno State, but they won those games. And they got momentum, and they got confidence, and it, it carried over to the program. And I think that's what Moose is trying to say. Like, hey, you know, getting momentum early does go a long way. And I think Minnesota is the example you can use on that from a year ago. I can tell you exactly why Nebraska's playing at Ohio State week one. For one, uh, I'm sure you know, maybe there was some Big Ten influence, but the real decision maker, Fox. TV. Yes. Right. Now, look, look at that, that game there, There's going to be like 8 standpoint. million viewers in that game. You have the two fan bases that were more, more passionate about playing football this fall than anyone in the conference and arguably anyone <laughs> in the country maybe outside of the SEC. Uh, now you're pitching them together. Uh, first game of the season on your big noon Sunday game. Uh, Saturday. Sorry, Saturday. NFL in my mind. <laughs> uh, so then you have... Obviously, the Ohio State fan base, which is looking to play for a national championship. You have a Nebraska fan base that was desperate to win. And then you have all the eyeballs that people want to watch Ohio State lose because they're the one of the top national championship contenders. Then there's all the people that want to watch Nebraska lose because they were tired of hearing them be the squeaky wheel for the past few months. And so there's going to be millions of eyeballs on that game. uh, And Fox knew exactly what they were doing putting that week one. Well, and if you're Nebraska and you've got to play Ohio State, I'd rather play them right out of the gate, you know, before they kind of really get their mojo going, um, you know, inside of a, an empty horseshoe than than playing late on in the season when when they've got things rolling and and um, you know they've been able to to watch Nebraska and, and they've been able to you know scout and, and do whatever. So I, I feel like Nebraska is in a position where if if they've got any sort of edge. Um, from how they've kind of you know waded through this entire process, I, I think that you want to play someone like an Ohio State right out of the gate rather than later on in the season. Yeah, I think there's something too, guys, about playing 11 a.m. or noon Eastern at Ohio State. Nebraska's one time almost winning out there happened to be a big noon kickoff game on Fox and Scott Frost's first season. Um, J.D. Spielman dropped a touchdown pass. Otherwise, uh, Nebraska might have won that game in Columbus. I mean, they had them on the ropes. They were forcing Dwayne Haskins into a lot of mistakes that day. Um, and without the fan element in there, there's not going to be that same kind of juice um, in that stadium. So, you know, Robin and I have been out there several times for night games now, and that that might be at night one of the hardest stadiums I've been to, Robin. Yeah, I mean, it's a hornet's nest for sure. And the fact that they're so far above everyone else in the conference from a town perspective is only adds to that. So, yeah, I agree. I mean – you can complain all you want about having to play the big dog week one, but I think there's also a lot of positives to it. Like Nate mentioned, just getting it out of the way, uh, in Ohio state, their aspirations go well beyond just beating Nebraska. Nebraska is the first stepping stone on a path towards playing in the college football playoff. And so they're going to come in probably thinking, all right, let's just, you know, set the tone. Let's get some style points, get this thing off. Right. 
where Nebraska is coming in with more bulletin board material and more motivation than any team in college football to prove everyone wrong and all the people that trash them for the last few months to show them that, you know, you can laugh at us all you want. Uh, we're a little bit better than you think you are. So I think that that plays into it as well that, I mean, if there's a time to play Ohio State, week one, in my opinion, is the best time to possibly give yourself a chance to, if not beat them, then at least keep it competitive, which can do just as much for your momentum uh, on your end of it as we saw two years ago. Yeah, well, and yeah, let's be honest. I think you don't have to beat Ohio State to gain momentum from this game. If you go there and you play well, and you you know, even if it's a close game, uh, I think you can still draw some momentum out of that. And, and we, I think we saw that two years ago too. So, uh, you know, I think there's a lot to gain here. And you know what? The, the biggest, the quickest way to kind of – to shut up all the the naysayers is to go out there and to go toe to toe with with Ohio State, play very well, and maybe even win the game, and everyone will shut up real fast. All right, well, guys, we have a full show here on tap. Um, next segment, I want to talk about potential Friday football, Black Friday football as well uh, with Nebraska Iowa. We'll discuss all that next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Both Gary Barda, the athletic director at Iowa, and myself have uh, requested that it be uh, uh, the Black Friday game. We, as, as we've talked about on the program before, Greg, uh, this is something we're working hard to establish, a, a strong rivalry with Iowa. I think we're getting there. Uh, people feel that they are the closest in proximity uh, to our campus and ours to theirs. And we, we want to establish that as a yearly Black Friday game. And this year, it'll be on that weekend. And uh, I'm feeling uh, good about the prospects of it being and on the Friday. And welcome back here to the Husker Alliance Show. Nebraska Athletic Director Bill Moose on Nebraska and Iowa being a Black Friday game. The segment here of the Husker Online Show brought to you by Tavern 180, located just off 30th and Yankee Hill, uh, one of the only places in town you can get USDA prime meat, uh, ribeyes, uh, Wagyu steaks, craft cocktails. Go on in to Tavern 180. Great place to have a cocktail, get some appetizers, watch the game. Uh, right next to our friends at Tanner's is Tavern 180. Get on in there and check it out. But, guys, uh, Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus, you heard Moose there. I think it's all but inevitable. Nebraska and Iowa will be a Friday game. The Big Ten is trying to finalize the the TV element of the schedule, and I think there's some part of it, the Pac-12, they want to know what's going on there and some of these other leagues. Um, but I think it's all but a done deal. We're going to see Friday football in this conference, and we're going to see a Nebraska-Iowa game on Black Friday. Now I think the question is how many Friday games do we see across the league? You know, with a league trying to maximize its exposure to get that television revenue. November uh, night game Fridays is my question. Potentially. I mean, I guess what we'll see. But I think that the Big Ten has the opportunity to space out their schedule a little more than usual to give uh, each one of those games as much of its own window as possible. And so, I mean, obviously they're already looking at you know, at least one Friday game, but, you know, during that schedule announcement, you know, they made it pretty clear that they were going to reevaluate further, um, you know, scheduling flexes as far as dates go. Uh, and that, you know, those Saturday weekends that were listed weren't permanent by any stretch. So I would imagine that Nebraska and Iowa is going to be one of several Friday games that they try to, you know, further showcase the league. I'm just happy that Nebraska's got somebody who's fighting to 
to try and keep that be a, you know keep it being a thing. <laughs> uh, I think that you know under the previous athletic director, um, it obviously wasn't that important. And and I think that whether people want to recognize it or not, I mean Iowa Nebraska has turned into a really good rivalry and. And it's somewhat lopsided right now, but uh, I think it needs to continue on Black Friday. And, and I'm glad to hear that Moose and Barta are working together to, to hopefully make that happen. Yeah, and let's face it, if Nebraska would have played Iowa better in 2015 and 2016, Sean Eichhorst probably would have been singing a different tune. But those games didn't go well for him with Mike Riley as the coach. And he didn't like that short week. He thought they were at a disadvantage uh, playing somebody like Iowa on short rest. But Bo Pelini <laughs> proved that didn't matter. I mean, he handled Kirk Ferentz all but one time, I think, in his time at Nebraska. Um, so, yeah, I, I think both fan bases, they won on Friday. And um, nine years in a row of it now, this will be the 10th year in a row Nebraska has played Iowa on Black Friday. Then next year, at least on the schedule as of today, it will be a Minneapolis trip for Nebraska to play uh, the Gophers on Black Friday. Yeah, and so you know, I'm with you guys. You know, I think that this is something that I'm glad Nebraska's fighting for. Obviously, some different circumstances this year uh, compared to others, but you know, this is something that Black Friday has become part of Nebraska football. And when you start messing with that, you're messing with you know one of the few connections we have to the past anymore. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, again, I think that that's something that will continue going forward, even if they have to mix up the opponents a little bit. But, uh, you know, I'm also curious to see what other scheduling tweaks the Big Ten puts in to try and highlight its games a little bit more. Yeah, you think that they're going to be looking at every possible way to to maximize this eight or nine week season here. So, um, yeah, I'm, I am pretty fascinated to see what type of, you know, uh, scheduling tweaks that they unveil and and how they're going to go about doing that. And if it's all going to be with Fox or if other networks are going to be involved. Um, well, ABC ESPN has a piece of the, the deal, yeah. too. So the, the picks go Fox 1, ABC 2, Fox 3, ABC 4. So there's a drafting order, um, and Fox gets the priority pick, then ABC's next. So like Penn State, Ohio State is going to be a ABC game. Michigan, Ohio State is a Fox game because that, that those are like the, the top two picks in the draft. Yeah, and it's probably just going to be a, a flex schedule every week, I mean, for the most part, because uh, those networks want to get the best games on in their primetime slots. They don't want to commit themselves to, you know, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Minnesota, Minnesota's like one and three or whatever they're going to play. But anyway, so uh, I would imagine that we'll know week to week just kind of where those games are going to fall. But uh, I do expect the Big Ten to try and maneuver those games a little bit around too. Like I said, get them on as many television sets as they possibly can. And are they going to be the, the regular time slots, like the 11 a.m.? I don't know what else you can do differently. Yeah. I mean, how, how do you create more? I mean, I think you can only – it's three and a half hours for a college football game, so what do you do um, any different? I mean, the 11, 2.30 and – have a morning kick, <laughs> like early, early morning? Well, Fox had talked about that, but you know what, guys? Think about this. Without bye weeks and everybody cramming in eight or nine in a row – it's going to, I mean, there's going to be some pretty good games this year on like lower tier channels. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like BTN will have good games on. Um, ESPNU is going to have better games on probably than normal. I mean, you're, you're going to see just better games. And to get a network spot, to get an ABC or a Fox, and that's where the ACC was smart. They, they got NBC in on their deal. So the Clemson Notre Dame game is on NBC, the Florida State Notre Dame game is on NBC. Just think about the eyeballs it's going to get 
because the ACC can have both ABC, ESPN, and NBC to air all their games. Yeah, it's the power of Notre Dame. And so with uh, the the good news, too, is that the Big Ten also won't have like four or five 11 a.m. kickoffs with you know Beth Mowens calling on ESPN, too. So a little bit uh, better of a showcase. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know. I think that I think that everyone's going to be just happy to see you know football in general. But um, you know the other other thing too is uh, you know you've already had for this weekend, for example, Notre Dame Wake Forest has become canceled, so postponed or postponed till December twelfth. Yeah, I mean if there is a, a postponement or or a game falls off of a weekend, you know what type of juggling uh, then might happen too. Yeah, if like the primetime game mm-hmm. suddenly gets called off, or, you know, do they, do they shuffle the schedule around and put the next best game in their primetime slot? And you you realize when, without the Big Ten and without the SEC playing, just kind of how boring college football is. Yeah. I mean, the last few weeks, I mean, it's been football, but let's call it what it is. It's, it's not been the same. No, I have not been invested in like any game not for college. at all. And it took this for me to really realize that. Like, I was interested to watch K-State and Iowa State just because they're local area programs. But I just don't have the interest to watch a lot of these games right now. Miami, Louisville, maybe. But I don't really get into the ACC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'll watch it if it's on. But, again, when you don't have that rooting interest of, you know, that, that personal connection, whether it be your team or the team you cover. Or the league. The league. Yeah. Uh, it. it changes the whole dynamics of it yeah I, I tried to get into the florida state georgia tech game the other weekend and I, <laughs> there was a delay in that game too but yeah and so you know after about 10 minutes of watching though i was i was done i was i don't know what i was doing but i wasn't watching football which is i figured okay i don't have i don't have any any obligations going on on a saturday i'll be able to to watch football and i didn't I honestly, doesn't move the needle no i honestly didn't find myself watching hardly anything I'll say this. I think Notre Dame for the first two weeks has probably looked the best of anybody I've watched. Um, I think Clemson's only played once. Oklahoma's played once. But Notre Dame for two weeks in, they're not going to play this week. But they've, they've looked like a good team considering all the challenges it's taken to get to this point. Yeah. And, again, that's what, going back to our original conversation about Nebraska's schedule, uh, there's a lot of kinks being worked out in these early season games. And so just because Ohio State on paper is so much better than everyone else – you know, they're going to have to shake off some rust, too. I mean, they've had setbacks along the way uh, that might give Nebraska a little bit more of a competitive playing field. Yeah, I, I, I think that uh, I th- that's how you have to look at it is, is, hey, you know what? We're going to hit the ground running. We've we've done everything the right way, and we've stayed engaged. We've we've stayed ready, and, and let's go take care of business. All right, when we come back, uh, that's some news with Nebraska basketball. The Huskers will no longer be going to Orlando. There's a special bubble tournament, though, that could be happening right here in Lincoln. Robin will tell us all that next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Uh, In talking to Fred uh, on a couple different occasions in the last three or four weeks, he really likes the looks of his team. Um, Really going to have some some, uh, exciting new faces that our fans haven't seen yet. The chemistry is really good. Uh, You know, your first year when you're piecing things together, and Greg, I think we had 12 new players last year. Not always is the chemistry going to be what you want. And... So through attrition and transfers and graduation and other things, uh, we really have uh, uh, a roster that's really, really uh, getting along great, very talented, doing very well academically, good discipline, 
it should be a really exciting year. And and back here on the Husker Online Show, that was Nebraska Athletic Director Bill Moose just giving some early outlook, early thoughts on this Nebraska basketball team that really, Robin, not very many people know right now. Um, and, you know, even we football right now, I just feel like we don't know these teams at Nebraska because we don't get to spend any time around things because of COVID and the restrictions in place. Um, but there's a lot going on with basketball. And right before the show, a big thing broke, Robin. Nebraska will no longer be going to Myrtle Beach to play in their their tournament with eight teams out there. And now they're going to be hosting a tournament here in Lincoln. Yeah, according to uh, John Rothstein of uh, CBS Sports, <clears throat> the Nebraska pulled out of the Myrtle Beach uh, Invitational, which uh, was pretty much expected to be relocated to Orlando uh, for a little bubble scenario there at the, the basically where the NBA teams are playing right now. Uh, but Nebraska decided to opt out of that and instead will host its own bubble in Lincoln during the first week of the season. So the season is set to start Thanksgiving November week. 25th. So you're looking at sometime uh, shortly after that. Uh, we don't know how many teams, who's coming, or, or anything like that, but uh, probably can assume anywhere from four to eight teams, uh, probably more likely. I mean, I guess it depends on how big they want to make this, but uh, Nebraska is one of those schools that – you know, they have the luxury of being able to do something like this. You know, a lot of those teams that are eyeballing that bubble scenario in Orlando, uh, they're the ones that you know, just don't have the resources or the uh, facilities or anything like that to host an event like that. Well, Nebraska does. Obviously, they have a first-class arena and then a multitude of hotels within a block of the arena. Plenty so, of high school gyms. Yeah, exactly. You know, when you do host an event like that, you need gyms for teams to have walkthroughs at. And, yeah. and uh, I mean, Nebraska's got the practice facility, you know, their own. And well, the, the, Devaney, the Devaney Center could be used as a gym. Uh, right. The practice center could be used as a gym. I mean, there's a lot of – because you have to have – if you have eight teams here, let's say it's eight, you think it's going to be four or eight. I don't know. I mean, I guess, again, it just depends on uh, logistically how much Nebraska wants to take on and putting this deal on because – Obviously, there's a lot of layers that go on well beyond just just playing basketball. I mean, you got to make sure you have all your COVID guidelines and all that stuff in place. So we'll see, trying to gather more information on that. But uh, the schedule, the non-conference schedule is starting to come into place. Obviously, last week, the Big Ten, or sorry, the NCAA announced that, uh, you know, November 25th will be the start date. And they also uh, put in a thing where teams can play uh, as many as seven non-conference games and are pushing for a minimum of four non-conference games. So um, another report that came out uh, earlier today um, on Wednesday was that the ACC Big Ten Challenge is still moving forward with the plan that its games will be played on respective campuses. So we don't know the opponent there yet. That has yet to be uh, announced, but it sounds like that is still very much going to be on the schedule. And so uh, you know, Nebraska, if the Big Ten sticks with a 20-game league schedule, uh, they have as many as seven non-conference games they can play and depending on how big uh this you know home bubble is going to be you know you're looking at you know two maybe even three or, or however many other games added to that plus the acc big 10 challenge and then you know you, you have your natural rivalries with creighton and uh you know some others that could potentially be looked at so the schedule's coming together. Now it's a matter of just finalizing opponents, dates, and just where all Nebraska is going to play. I'm getting way ahead of myself here, Robin, but when you think about NCAA tournament time and records this year, it's going to be completely different than ever before. I mean, like 15 wins is going to be respect. I mean, that's going to be out. If you win 12, 13 games and you play that Especially many the Big Ten. power games, because um, you might only have one or two buy type games, right? Yep. So it's funny. 
you know, all this movement over the last few years uh, to try and make it, uh, you know, less of a, uh, make it more objective in finding, you know, who the NCAA tournament field is going to be. Uh, now it's probably going to go back to just the committee trusting its eyeballs and basing seeding off opinions as opposed to relying on things like the net, uh, which really breaks down analytics, strength of schedule, all that stuff. Uh, it sounds like they might go away from that a little bit just because the schedule is going to be so kind of hodgepodge around the country that uh, you can't have one standard criteria for measuring one conference against the next, let alone one team against the next. So uh, that's, I guess, good for the Big Ten because right now the Big Ten is being viewed as highly as any conference uh, in the country. And so even if you're sub 500, if you have a few big time wins and you know lose a few close games, that schedule might be viewed differently and maybe highly, uh, more highly than some other conferences that aren't playing uh, with quite the uh, preseason prestige that the Big Ten has. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, as as we talk Nebraska basketball. And, you know, I think more about this bubble idea. I'm sure a lot of thoughts like, wait a minute, we're trying to save money, cut costs down. Why do we need to go to Orlando or yeah. somewhere like this when we've got everything here? There's going to be no fans probably at these early games. By the way, we've got hotels in our community that are struggling, uh, catering businesses for teams struggling. Let's just have it here. I mean, I, I think it does make sense. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if you see a lot of programs doing this, Robin. Yeah, especially, I mean, if you have teams that uh, you know, are at least somewhat respectable names that are willing to, to come here as opposed to, you know, like Nebraska, traveling halfway across the country, which makes you think that, uh, you know, it could be more of a regional flavor. Some big East this. teams from you sure. know, the area. Or. Yeah, and, you know, I know that there's also uh, been some talk about, you know, conference games being played early to try and take some of the burden off uh, the post-New Year schedule, especially if you're going to try to play a full 20-game slate, uh, to be able to play some of those conference games earlier. And if it's a bubble scenario where, say, what if Iowa comes and you're able to knock out a game or maybe even two games against Iowa? I mean, that that leaves you with only 18 more league games to play, which gives you more room for flexibility in case stuff comes up along the way, which I'm sure it will. Uh, so, I mean, that is still part of the thought process. And, and one of the reasons why the Big Ten schedule hasn't come out yet is because they're still trying to figure out how they can kind of maneuver these games around to make it as likely as possible to play a full 20-game slate. And everybody is I mean, you look at the around the country, other than the Big 12, who will play 18 because they only have 10 in the league, everyone's doing 20, right? I mean, the, the power leagues. For the, yeah, as far as I know. I mean, that that's just going to be – I mean, records are going to be very, very – good records are going to be hard to come by. Yeah, that's why I say. I mean, if you're sub-500 in the Big 10, I mean, like people say, what's Nebraska's record going to be? I'm like, well, if they can win like – three or four games that'd be really good you know why because three or four games are going to come against top 25 teams and, and so you're going to have some will there be a wins. big 10 tournament then like in a bubble we don't even know that yeah yet, we, we? we have no idea at this point i would imagine so uh you know i think that one of the thought processes behind making you know the acc came out with that idea let everyone make the tournaments the well that's kind of what these conference tournaments are supposed to be where everybody gets a chance to make the tournament in your own conference tournament. Well, uh, you know, I, I still think that those are going to go. It's just a matter of how they're going to get it done. And I would imagine a bubble scenario was very realistic. And then we got about less than a minute left here, Robin. Uh, Huskers did suffer a pretty big recruiting blow this week. Yeah, losing uh, Carter Witt. It's, it's a long story, but I can tell you that, uh, you know, he's the guy that was basically, Nebraska was counting on him 
coming here all the way up until the 11th hour of that decision. But ultimately, he went with Wake Forest, who his dad, you know, went there and he grew up a Wake Forest fan, stays, you know, in North Carolina. He's a Raleigh native. Uh, and so, you know, it was an unfortunate blow, but uh, yet uh, add it to the list of gut punches and groin kicks for Nebraska basketball. All right. When we come back, we'll take your questions in the mailbag. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Because if you can't sell, you can't sell out. Uh, so, I mean, if there if there was a restriction of uh, 25% uh, capacity, I'd count that as a sellout. If it was 50% sellout, because we'd do that, we'd fill that. But uh, no fans, or very few, uh, primarily players, parents, their family members, and, and maybe just a handful of friends. The coaches' families were still were still working all of that. This is going. This is going to be an asterisk year that uh, the sellout streak just settles where it is, and we pick up again next year when hopefully we're back in full swing. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Lots of questions about the sellout streak, and it will basically just be on pause because they can't sell anything this year, and um, that will pick back up again in 2021, according to Nebraska Athletic Director Bill Moose. But it is time, guys, for the mailbag. Um, starting off here, lots of questions. First one out of the gates, is anything going on right now? It just doesn't feel like anything is happening. And he makes a great point um, th- with that question because things have been just kind of locked down as far as letting the public in. And we're so used to preseason August being just constant Kool-Aid hype. And this obviously is going to be about the least hyped preseason we've seen on top of the schedule now that faces Nebraska, but they are practicing up to 20 hours per week. They can't put full pads on, though, until September 30th, which is when the Big Ten is supposed to have their testing program in place uh, with the antigen and all the things that they can do for the daily COVID rapid testing. Now, I can tell you, Robin, Nate, Nebraska's already been conducting daily rapid COVID testing for almost a week now. Um, so they're kind of getting their sea legs underneath them just so they know the protocol when it happens. And then when the Big Ten comes in, uh, they'll have a better feel for that. Yeah, so as far as you know, the, the hype and all that, we don't even know when the next time we'll actually be able to speak with Scott Frost or Zoom. Any, any players. Yeah, and what the, what's going to look like. I'm sure it's going to be uh, just some sort of Zoom session and how many we get between now and, and game one. You know, we'll see. Like, we don't know anything at this point. So, uh, I guess for all those people that get mad about the glowing reports coming out of fall camp <laughs> and talking about how great the team is, you're not going to get those this year because uh, we're probably not going to have very much to, to write about until that first game. Yeah, if Nebraska loses or next time Nebraska loses, it's not going to be our don't fault. Don't blame us. You media hyped, uh, hyped these <laughs> you guys You misled up. us. Yeah, you, you lied to us. No. I mean, it not only is it the media, you know, we're not able to, to go to post-practice or see any part of practice, but, I mean, there's no one going to practice. They're not letting anybody in because they don't want to bring some outsider, you know, or let someone, some random person into practice and then possibly infect, you know, people. So, I mean, usually there's some sort of word or rumors trickling out from people that have been there, and you're not getting that this year. So, um, you know, and then on the recruiting front, I mean, they, they went on a, a string where they landed, you know, several commits in, in the span of about four weeks. Uh, but now they're getting to the point where things, you know, numbers slowing are, down. Yeah, numbers are tightening up and, and things are slowing down. And, and honestly, a lot of their prospects that they're, that they're still in on right now are, are kids that have never visited 
And so, um, you know, I don't know if they're necessarily in a rush to, to make a decision right now. And the big unknown remains what the roster size can be 2021, 2022. Literally, the NCAA has given no guidance to programs. Yeah. And, I mean, what do you – I mean, this is not a mailbag question, but it will be interesting, guys. Everyone's going to play now. So why would you keep eligibility another year? If you're going to play 10 games this year, in Nebraska's case, you can play nine games plus a bowl game, why would any senior come back? I mean, what would, I, I just don't – when I'm looking at it now, it's like, okay, everybody should just advance their eligibility on a year if you're going to play in 10 games. Yeah, and I guess then the next question becomes, you know, the, the redshirt rule. I mean, is that just going to be obsolete at this point? Yeah, right now there is no yeah. redshirt rule. So, yeah – I mean, that's a heck of an advantage for the guy that you know just wants to play six years of college football, I guess. If you get to get this year back and still play, you know, nine to ten games, uh, I mean, that's a pretty darn good deal. Like yeah. Deontay Williams, he could get another year back. He could have the longest career for a junior college so transfer. He's a senior. Time. He's a senior. <laughs> yep. Then he can get a six year of eligibility still. So he'll get this year again twice and then he can get another year. So he so could be he a could, seven year player in he college. He could have three more seasons. Nebraska's Chris Winkie. Seriously, yeah. he's like 24 right now. Yeah, I mean, but and and honestly, I mean, if if you're Deontay Williams, you're probably, I mean, depending on how this year goes, or or even you're next out year, of here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, who knows? I mean, there's there comes a point where you are going to see start to see diminishing returns on you know on you know. I guess how much tread you have left on the tires and everything. Exactly. So and he's had major injuries, two yeah. of them. All right, next question. Will, what will it look like on the road? Will teams stay overnight? What I can tell you on that right now is they don't know. Um, they, I think they're probably operating as if they are going to stay the night, but the Big Ten hasn't really set. And I don't understand how they could like tell you that. If you're going to play an 11 a.m. game in Columbus, which would be noon out there, I mean, Nebraska would literally have to get on a plane at like 6 in the morning to get there. Get, I mean, you would be at a significant disadvantage oh, yeah. I can only remember one time where the road team flew in on that day, and it was Missouri and Gary Pinkle. They had some kind of mechanical problems with the plane yeah. in Bill Callahan's second year in 05, I believe. Mm -hmm. It was 04 05. Might have been 04, Nate. Brad Smith was still there, though. And Nebraska beat the tar out of them because Missouri just wasn't even ready to go because they, they had to fly in for an early morning 11.30 Fox Sports Network kick. I even remember it was 11.30 because Fox Sports Network played 11.30s back then, but... Um, other things I don't remember, don't ask me. But So, yeah, I, I would imagine that it would depend on uh, the location and the amount of travel and the kickoff time. A night game I could see. Yeah, I mean, like if you're playing Iowa at a 7 o'clock kick, you can drive up that day. I mean, I think it's about trying to find ways to reduce the amount of time your team is exposed to outside forces beyond your control, like hotels, like team buses and all that stuff. So, I mean, I think that if it's doable, yeah, they can reduce travel and find ways to warm. Not for an 11 a.m. game, Yeah, though. but, no, but, but no going way. to, you know, wherever, Rutgers or Penn State or any of those other, like, halfway across the country games and expect them to not stay overnight, that's, I mean, physically impossible. Yeah, and, and if I were the team, I, I would flat out refuse to do that because yeah. that is a – inherent disadvantage if you're going to have talk to talk about player safety yeah yeah and player safety i mean there's no way i would allow my team to to do that um so i i don't think that we'll see that i know that it was talked about or whatever but i'd be really really surprised if that were a thing recruiting question nate is there anything at all with avante dickerson is he still fully committed to minnesota i i will say there's something there's something going on there um and i've talked with a couple different people now about it and 
you know, I, I think that he's to the point where he's wondering if he made the right decision or, or just wants to just wants to make sure he made the right decision. And, and I think that that he has reinitiated some contact between, uh, you know, he and Nebraska and and I think he's listening to things. But I know for a fact when he committed to Minnesota, Nebraska basically said, hey, you know what, good luck. Um, if something changes, let us know. And and I think that he has kind of let Nebraska know. So we'll see what happens. But uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying to expect a decommitment from Minnesota and a flip to Nebraska, but I'm also saying to not be completely surprised if it happened at some point. I won't use the word on this one. Um, the the question asker used, but is Pat Forty a bad person? <laughs> There's another word <laughs> used. Yeah. Place. I think he's a little unreasonable and unfair towards Nebraska, um, and I think Nebraska kind of brings it upon themselves. Just the way the fans attack and go after guys like that, and I'm sure he gets a lot of clicks on on these articles he's been writing and. You know, it's it's a win-win for him, and he doesn't have to be around here every day like we do. So he can get away with writing some of those things. I mean, he said, "Take your tractors and get on the dirt roads and get the hell out of here." I mean, I, I could never write that. Yeah, I mean, he's one of those guys that just fallen victim to today's hot take. You know, drive-by media, say wild stuff. You know, the Skip Bayless, Stephen A. Smith, that sort of thing, where you can say literally anything you want, even if it's like really like terrible things. And you don't even have to apologize for it anymore. And so he's kind of found this niche where he's the guy that just goes around and triggers fan bases. And Nebraska is a very easily triggerable fan base that will respond in flurries to everything that he says. And so uh, I'm sure that his bosses are saying, hey, why don't you throw another jab in Nebraska real quick? Let's get some clicks. Yeah, Pat Forty's laughing all the way to the clickbait bank because <laughs> every – I mean, he's got to love it because he can say something ridiculous about Nebraska in the Hall of Husker Nation, rightfully so. I mean, I, I totally get it. But he can say that, and the entire fan base gets all up in arms, and they're going to be, you know, interacting with him and clicking on his stories and everything. And he's he's, he's got to love it. So, but do I like him? No. No. Do I agree with anything that he has to say, especially lately? Absolutely. Well, not. now no. on the flip side, his son Mitchell is a colleague of ours at Rivals. Yeah. He works on the Missouri side, and I like Mitchell. Great, great guy. Yeah. We've spent I've spent time with him multiple times, and. Get along great with Mitch, and he does great work for Gabe DeArmond there at Missouri at Power Mizzou. He was a swimmer there before um, graduating from their J school. But, all right, when we come back, we're going to continue the recruiting discussion with Nate. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. We are continuing now with design that's going to wrap up, we think, by late October or November. We will then hit the pause button, uh, get into the first of the year, and uh, hopefully be ready to get a shovel in the ground in May or June. So it, we're kind of shooting for a, a plan that would uh, basically have us opening uh, that great facility a year later than we had originally uh, projected. But And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Final segment, Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, and you just heard uh, Nebraska Athletic Director Bill Moose, things remain on uh, for Nebraska's football facility as they won't be able to break ground now until the spring. And people have asked, why not now? Well, you, you've got a track season now. You, you, you can't really uh, have the Nebraska track program not have a place to practice and compete. So 
Um, it's going to be delayed until May, June, um, but all the money remains there. All the support is there. And he also hinted, Nate, that this will be, in, you know, you hear this a lot, but he said this will be the finest football facility, and the key word is it will be the most functional football facility in the country. Yeah, and, and you know, I guess if you want to try and find a silver lining in all of this, it's that they've got another year of, of planning and, and, you know, tweaking this facility uh, here and, and to make it the best. And, and uh, you don't necessarily have to make it bigger than what it already is because it's going to be massive. But I think you can uh, continue to do research and, and look at what other people have and, and how you could, you know, take – take bits and pieces from that and, and kind of, you know, make it the biggest, the best thing out there. And so, um, you know, it, it's kind of, it stinks that it's not, that it's going to be delayed for another year, but like you said, they, they have the money, um, they've got the means to, to get it done. And, and, uh, so now maybe they can maybe even take it up another level by, by tweaking it and, and making it the, the most functional facility out there. You're listening here to the Husker online show, Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, as we talk, some recruiting here, Nate, and it's kind of been quiet um, just because I don't think anybody really knows what the next move is, but we do know from the NCAA that the dead period is going to run now through December 31st. Uh, Signing day will happen in December. That means everybody that signs will not have been able to take an official visit. Yeah, it's crazy (laughs) to to think about it that way. You've got um, the large majority probably of, of your class of 2021 prospects that will have gone through an entire recruiting cycle without having the ability to take an official visit. And, and for a lot of these kids, they haven't even taken too many unofficial visits because the dead period was put in place you know, early to mid-March. I think it was March 12th or 13th is when it officially uh, went into effect uh, by the NCAA. And, and so if you didn't get any unofficial visits done by the time March 12th was rolled around, then you weren't able to step foot on any campus in an, in an, in an official or unofficial capacity. And I know some kids have resorted to, to, to taking their own unofficial visits. And, um, and that's, I think that's smart. You're able to at least get a feel for what the city's like or what campus is like, uh, and maybe see some of the, what the outside of the facilities look like. But the bad part of that is you cannot have any contact with the with the coaches. You can't have any sort of you know custom tour given uh, you know with the facilities or or anything. So uh, you're still relying heavily upon all of the virtual tours and and the FaceTimes and you know whatever whatever videos and productions you know the the various teams that are recruiting you have kind of put out. And so um, you know, I feel for the kids because you know. I, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity to get recruited and, and to take visits and, and to kind of be, you know, kind of get that attention from, from coaches and, um, and, and, you know, these kids are still getting plenty of attention, but it's way different than what it normally would have been. Yeah. What's interesting, Nate, is we haven't seen the flood of decommits like thought because there haven't been any visits. Yeah. You know, usually what happens is kids sneak off to a game on a weekend and you get just captivated by the new campus you visit and the experience you have there. Well, that's not going to happen. Um, and, you know, kids can't even technically really buy tickets to go to a lot of these games. In some conferences they can, but not in the Big Ten at least um, as of right now. So, you know, it, it the drama and the number of decommits could end up being a lot less this year than we maybe thought it was going to be just simply because – 
kids can't take these trips and go to games. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I thought, you know, back in April or or even May, I thought, okay, well, there's going to be a point in time where the dead period is lifted and then it's going to be the wild, wild west where you've got all these kids that committed early, taking trips all across the country. Everyone's going to maximize and, and take all five visits and uh, you're going to see flip-flopping going on like crazy. Well, like you said, none of that's going to take place. Um, and even in an unofficial capacity, uh, it's it's not really even going to take place. So you're right. I think we're going to see a lot less, um, you know, decommitments happening. And, and um, I think what's really going to be interesting is, you know, maybe maybe three years from now, if you did a study on the amount of transfers, um, you know, that, that maybe came out of the class of 2021, you know, how many of these kids are going to actually end up getting on campus and, and, you know, being around for a while and then figuring out, hey, look, boy, this is way, way different than what I thought it was going to be like. You know, I uh, you know, never had an opportunity to to visit it in person or, or go to a game day or whatever. Um, and so they're going to bounce. And so I, I'm really interested to see, you know, if we're going to see a massive spike in transfers come out of this, this year's recruiting class down the road. Well, I think, Nate, you're going to see a really, really small coaching carousel this year, at least at the Power 5 level. We know Southern Miss's coach resigned after week one. Um, and I don't know the whole backstory there. They played poorly, but he resigned after the first game. But I just can't see Power Five schools that pay head coaches four to six, seven million dollars paying out full buyouts because every coach typically carries at least four to five years' salary on buyout terms. And with deficits of up to a hundred million dollars in some of these places. I just don't think teams are going to be in the mood to write out lottery tickets to coaches, too. No, I don't think that's going to happen at all. So, um, yeah, there's going to be far fewer decommitments from the recruits and far fewer coaching changes. Especially with no in-home visits. Well, yeah, no in-home visits. Um, you know, it's just it's very bizarre. The, this recruiting cycle is is going to be one for the ages because – um, you know, every literally every portion of of the whole process has been impacted in one way or another by the coronavirus. And, and you know, hopefully hopefully we never see anything like this again. But um, in, in the season, too, you know, we're talking about coaches getting fired. Well, um, yeah, we don't think that's going to happen or there's not going to be the normal coaching carousel taking place. Um, and how can you, you know, I guess take into account, you know, a record um, you know, for a coach, if if they're dealing with all these other circumstances too, I think I think every, everything is going to have somewhat of a asterisk uh, next to it, uh, whether it be recruiting rankings or or uh, your on field record too. Yeah, just think about this, Nate. Um, we haven't been to a, a single combine really for rivals, a camp. Uh, we were able to go to a couple in in late July, Steve Warren and the one that Jake Sharp ran. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just not getting out to see kids. And coaches haven't been able to see any kids. I mean, think about, like, walk-on recruiting for Nebraska. Typically, you see these kids in summer camps and yep. Friday Night Lights, and you get testing numbers and data. It's going to be a lot harder to even feel, you know, a good walk-on class to really know what you're looking at. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be very difficult to do that. And, um, you know, I, I think we've talked about this before, but the – the ability for a coaching staff to actually, you know, uh, evaluate film and, and do talent evaluations on film and not in person is going to be a big, big deal because 
um, the, the the football staffs out there that are able to to evaluate film very very well they're going to have a leg up uh, in this recruiting cycle because like you said there's no there haven't been any combines there haven't been any satellite camps or or on campus camps and um, these coaches have not been able to see anybody in person. They're not going to be able to go to any high school games or junior college games or whatever. So, um, yeah, it, uh, the ability to evaluate talent uh, just purely based off film and, and kind of have an idea for how a, how a player is going to you know continue to, to develop and, and, and the ability to project these guys I think is going to be massive. Well, we're in kind of a slow period right now. The Huskers won't play until 28 days from Saturday. Uh, they'll put on full pads, though, here um, next week um, on September 30th. That will be the first time they'll do that. So hopefully we'll have a better idea of a fall camp schedule and kind of what that's going to look like. So make sure you stay on HuskerOnline.com. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.